You're listening to DraftKings Network. Hey there, boys and girls. Welcome to another edition of the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. I'm your host, Andrew Brandt, and we are presented, as always, by DraftKings. And guess what? Today's my birthday. It's Wednesday, July 19th, 2023, and it's a birthday. I'll get to the number in a minute, but I'll talk about birthdays and age and aging as part of it. I'm happy to do that. Share a little more personal side I've noticed in my newsletter that the overwhelming feedback when I do personal stuff as compared to pure sports business stuff is positive. People want to see more of that. So I'm going to do a little bit of that here, especially today on my birthday. And yes, I will get into the topic of NFL running backs. I've been doing a lot of radio and podcasts over the past couple of days about this issue in light of the franchise tags, non deals done for the three running backs. We're going to get into all that and maybe a little thoughts on, Hard knocks and quarterback with Netflix and those kind of things. But I want to get into the idea of age and aging. I am 63 years old today. Um, The thing is that when I tell people my age, I usually get a big reaction. Like, I can't believe that. You look so young. You look better than that. How do you do it? And I don't really get too energized one way or the other when people say that. Um, I think the the things that you have to realize about age are two things. There are two things you got to realize about age. Number one, age is truly just a number. It is just a number. And unfortunately people attach labels when you're at a certain number. The other thing you have to recognize about age is that everything is relative. Everything is relative. So let's go into both of those in terms of just a number it's just a number. And unfortunately, we live in a society of labels and putting people in boxes. It annoys me, perhaps more than it should, that chronological age is so important, maybe even more important, or definitely more important than sort of how people feel or what age they feel. But some of this comes from spending time at the bedside of my dad in his dying days because he was round the clock in a hospital and every shift change, every new nurse, every new doctor would hear the same thing from the outgoing nurse or outgoing doctor, which was, hey, we've got an 88-year-old here. And I'm like, wait a minute. He's not your standard 88-year-old. My dad was in good shape. My dad walked every day. My dad played golf the day he went to the hospital, which he never got out of. So I just have that feeling like, oh, you know, if you say a number, they're gonna, people are going to put you, associate you with that number. I say 63. It's nice that people say, oh, you don't look it, you shouldn't be it. But, you know, in the other hand, people do put you in a box. Oh, you're 63. You're that age. (laughs) And I've never sort of subscribed to that. The other part of being at, at, at the age that I am or any age is it's all relative. You know, it's nice to hear people say some nice things, but it's all relative. It's the whole look to your left, look to your right theory, right? 
any person in any situation can look to their left and see someone that's worse off than them. But if they look to their right, they see someone better off than them. There's always someone who's doing better, better looking, more fit, achieving more than you, no matter the age. And there's always someone doing less well, less fit, less achieving, less accomplished than you. So everything is relative. Yeah, I'm 63. I look good. I do things for 63-year-olds don't do. But you know what? There's a lot of 63-year-olds who are doing much more than me and accomplishing much more and looking more fit and looking more young, youthful, etc. And I've slowed down the racing in recent years, but here's a sign of accepting my age because I used to race and not look at the categories of the 50s or the, even the 60s and just see how I did overall. Now I don't really look at how I did overall in these races, but I'm looking at the guys mostly in the 50s, but also in the 60s. How am I doing against them? And listen, in any decent sized race, there's no way I'm atop the 60 group, right? So I think, or maybe people think I'm in such great shape. No, I go to these races like I'm not winning the 60 to 65 range. I'm not. There's always guys doing better, whether it's a running race, a triathlon, a biking race, any kind of race that's happening. And I'm not talking about national races. I'm talking about local regional races. And I could be beat by women my age. It just happens. So to me, age is just a number. How do you feel? How do you feel and what are you doing to slow the process down? Aging is inevitable, but I, like a lot of people, try to slow the process in ways that I can. There are the three basics, the three pillars of fighting off aging, of complete and total health. The three pillars are sleep, nutrition, and exercise. It's not hard. It's not hard to come up with those three. They're the pillars. They're the baseboards of health, sleep nutrition, and, and exercise. Sleep, you know, I go through patterns sometimes where I'm not getting the amount of sleep. I try to get eight hours. I try to get seven and a half hours. I try to get seven hours, just depending on the time. But you have to understand the time you're in bed is not the time you go to sleep. I am in bed more than eight hours a night. But I, like a lot of people, succumb to watching maybe mindless TV I'm not a screen user. I stay away from that or read, but you know, you get up, you got to pee, you can't get back to sleep. So whatever it is, but I try to get that eight hours. I think that's a goal in terms of nutrition. I think we could all do better. I think I'm doing well, but I have my, my shortcomings. Uh, I'm not good. I love bread. Bread is a downfall. I'm not a drinker, which is great because alcohol is something. I mean, it's great that people enjoy alcohol. I enjoy red wine, but you're making a deal. You're not going to sleep as well and you're going to put on calories. So if you do enjoy drinking, just understand the deal you're making. Sleep will be affected, especially if you drink at night. It will be affected. Uh, pounds will be gained. The one advice I heard from Tom Lavad, our strength and conditioning coach at the Packers, that made so much sense to me is that we ingest so many calories in our food. Don't do calories in liquid form, right? You got so many calories coming in on the food side, 
don't add to it on the liquid side. And that means, you know, frankly, alcohol. And again, I'm not an abstainer. I drink some alcohol, but alcohol is calories and alcohol affects sleep and alcohol has detrimental effects on overall health. I don't care about these studies that say a glass of wine a day is good for you. I know how it affects my sleep and how it affects me the next day. So I understand that. So if you're looking to cut calories, cut, do the easy part, right? It's easier to cut them out of what you drink than what you eat. So that's just one little help there. And then, of course, exercise. I'm pretty fastidious about doing something every day. It's not every day of the year, sometimes with travel, sometimes with, with I, uh, things going on. You can't exercise every day. But I'm, it's a non-negotiable for me when I'm, when I'm not traveling early in the morning or whatever, even when I am to try to get in a new city and, and take a little run or even a walk. It's so important, not just for calorie expenditure, not just for fitness, but for mental health. I don't feel the same way if I haven't exercised. So I am very zealous in guarding my mornings. My morning routine is, of course, to get up, to do some work, you know, after stretching, do some work. And that could be writing a newsletter, that could be writing a column, that could be writing a journal, that could be working on my stuff for school, whether it's grading or mentoring students or research they're doing for me, whatever it may be. Get that done first. That's first because you know it's going to have to get done. And it's better to get done first. In that time, I have no devices, right? Turn the phone over. No texts, no emails, no browsers, nothing. And only when I feel like I've accomplished what I need to do for that day in terms of writing or in terms of a task that I need for something else or school or a personal task, then I'll look at things like email and some websites. I'll do that for a while, read some newsletters, get caught up on things. And only after that will I go to social media. And I don't stay long. You know, Twitter, I post and ghost. I post and I move on to something else. Maybe I'll come back. But I can't understand people that sort of park on social media. It's not good for you. Stay away. Use the phone for you, right? Use the phone and computer the way you want to use them, not have them control you. You know, I hear people say, well, Twitter or even social media in general is a cesspool. No, it isn't. It's not a cesspool. It's not angry. It's angry if you let it get at you angry, Right. I go in, I see what's interesting, I tweet, I see people that I find interesting in and out of sports, in and out of business, life, fitness, etc. I get in, I get out. That's it. You know, Twitter doesn't outrage me. Twitter doesn't have an outrage meter on mine. And I think people need to do that. And again, before I get back to age and aging, the one thing people have to do, have to do in their lives Turn off all notifications. It's only an interrupter. It's only a, a drag on your lifestyle. All we have is our attention. And if our attention is diverted with dings and buzzes and tweets and notifications and bells and whistles, come on. Your life, that's not a life. So if you take one thing away from me on this personal note is turn everything off. My phone has no buzzers, no dings, no vibrating no notifications. 
I use it for when I want. And as far as missing out on something, who cares? You'll find out when you check in an hour. You'll find out when you check in 15 minutes. I'm not missing out on anything. I'm around people that get these ESPN notifications. I'm like, oh, well, that's not very interesting. Like, what? Like, why? Why? It will be a benefit for your health and mental health. Turn them off. Okay. Final things about age and aging. I do all the modalities. I don't know if they work. I'm not vouching for any of them, but I just do it, right? I'll, I'm a sucker for all the optimizations, right? I take a bunch of supplements. I take E, I take D, I take K2, I take uh, uh, quercetin. I take, I can't even remember what I take. Obviously, a, men, a mentholated B vitamin. I take um, a prostate formula. I take all kinds of vitamins. You know, is it just expensive urine? Sure, maybe, who knows, but it's good. I take B12 shots. I take sauna. I take acupuncture. I do cryotherapy where you stand in the cylinder for three minutes of freezing air, which is more tolerable than ice baths or cold immersions. I take, I do cupping, I do NAD infusions. Now, listen, does that work for you? I don't know. Do I spend a lot of money on that? Sure. But if Russell Wilson and LeBron James are spending millions on their body, I can spend thousands. The last thing I'll say about continuing to be strong in age is this. I would try to always maintain consistency in doing good things for your body and mind, if only minutes a day, reading, read 10 minutes a day, right? Read 10 pages a day in a book. I'm not talking about online reading. I'm not talking about social media, actually read, right? Or just do something good for your body every day. Try to break a sweat because the key is going to be consistency. Uh, the people who just sort of don't do anything and all of a sudden they lose a lot of weight or they feel like they're strong and then they backslide because they haven't built that regimen in their life. They're not consistent. So please be consistent. And the last thing I'll say is add new challenges, even if small. You know, we always need to have a beginner's mindset. <clears throat> maybe it's something, maybe it's a language, maybe it's an instrument, maybe it's a different kind of exercise, but it shakes things up a little bit. And if you have that, do it. And the last thing I'll say back to social media, if you're looking to do a big challenge, don't advertise it, right? Don't advertise it. It doesn't help. Put it on there when you've done it. When you've actually done it, then advertise it. Because if you put it on early, then you'll get feedback. Oh, that's impossible. Or you'll never do it. Or, wow, that's cool. I did it and I did it this fast or whatever it is. Don't do any of that, right? Don't do any of that. If you have a challenge you're undertaking, put it on social media after you've done it. You'll feel better. Listen, stay young. You know, when I talk about age, I meet people in their 60s and their 50s, even their 40s, even sometimes their 30s. They just kind of run out of steam. Like, They've gone consistently with good health, good nutrition, good sleep, good exercise, 
for a long time, but then they get in ruts they can't get out of and they, and they rationalize it. Oh, I'm just older. I'm just more sedentary. I'm just stuck in my ways. You've got to, you've got to keep at it, right? I'm 63. I got a lot of years left. I'm approaching middle age. I like to say, keep at it. Don't run out of steam. So that's my little soliloquy about age and aging. It's just a number. It's just a number. It means nothing except for people who want to put it in a label or put you in a box. Nothing, right? Nothing. And it's all relative. Me and you. There's always someone better and there's always someone worse at whatever age we're at. So just keep going, right? Be consistent. Do the little things. Trust your body. Get the pillars. Sleep, exercise, and nutrition. I'm taking a break. <laughs> okay. I'm 63, right? I can take a break. Uh, let's talk about the topic du jour in the NFL. It's the running backs. And this is something I've talked about a lot in the past couple of days. This is not new, but it's gotten a lot of attention because on Monday, Saquon Barkley, Josh Jacobs, and Tony Pollard all were saddled with the one-year deals. They could not reach agreement on two or three or four-year deals with their teams. Their teams are squatting on the franchise tag. They'll sign him to that number or some similar number. They can only do one-year deals now because of the tag rules. Okay, I've talked about this before. Let me just start with running backs. It starts way before the NFL. The NFL draft eligibility rule requires three years removed from high school compared to the NBA, which is one year removed, which means that running backs in their prime earning years are in college earning nothing or nominal NIL compensation. Whereas other positions you can understand, an offensive lineman, a quarterback, we need development coming in three years is not that big an issue. They have long careers. Those positions play into their mid-30s or later. Running backs don't seem to have that longevity. As we'll talk about, they seem out of high earning capacity by their mid-20s. So let's talk about their teens to their mid-20s. In their teens, they're in college earning nothing. When they get three years removed from high school and get into the NFL, they sign a four-year rookie contract if they're in the second to seventh rounds or a five-year rookie contract if they're in the first round. This is what Barkley and Josh Jacobs did. Five years of service so far. Now they're encumbered with something called a franchise tag, which encumbers them to the team one more year. The earliest Saquon Barkley or Josh Jacobs can see free agency is in their seventh year in the NFL, when, of course, they're not going to have the value that they had in their, say, second, third, fourth even fifth year in the NFL. This is highly unfortunate. We have seen the running back market drop to the ground. Zeke Elliott cut this offseason unsigned. Leonard Fournette cut this offseason unsigned. Kareem Hunt unsigned. DeAndre Swift traded for a ham sandwich, right? These are players that are fungible to teams. We have some outliers in Christian McCaffrey and Derrick Henry, but even Christian McCaffrey, do you know this statistic that just floors me? That the Carolina Panthers improved their rushing attack last year after trading Christian McCaffrey. What can be done about this? Well, a couple things to note here. I haven't talked enough about the franchise tag. The franchise tag was meant for 
quarterbacks staying with their teams. I remember when he came in, it was to keep Brett Favre in Green Bay, Dan Marino in Miami, John Elway in Denver, Troy Aikman in Dallas. These are the kind of players you didn't want to lose, thus the franchise tag. Well, teams got smart and they said, well, we don't have to use it for the quarterback. We can use it for any position. And they've taken it for their best free agent, regardless of position, even kicker and, of course, running back. So now the Raiders and Giants will use up Josh Jacobs and Saquon Barkley for another year at $10 million, run them into the ground and then see what's up next year. And if they're good enough, they'll franchise them again. If not, they'll let them go. The point is, if they're not getting uh, long-term deals now, they're never getting long-term deals, right? It's only going to be more uh, usage and that's not good. This is the only position in sports. This is the only position in life. This is the only position in business where the adage of early career productivity equaling future value does not apply, right? If you're a quarterback, if you're a if you're a basketball player, if you're a baseball player, if you're an engineer, if you're a doctor, if you're working in a firm, your lawyer, if you have early productivity, early value in your career, early high usage, that usually translates to upper earnings, future value later in your career. Not for running backs, it's the opposite. The more usage, the more productivity early in your career, it seems like the less value you have later in your career. Combine this with the fact that players like Sean Alexander, Todd Gurley, etc., flamed once they signed big contracts in their mid-20s after strong early performance. All of this conspires against teams wanting to reward players in their mid-20s with second or third contracts for running backs. I have been there. In Green Bay, I resisted large second or third contracts for two players that I was admittedly good friends with Dorsey Levins and Amon Green. And that's hard. That's hard. I'm sure we lost, they lost friendship with me for that, but that's what I had to do to protect the team. But what has happened is running backs kind of peaked out at 12 to 15 million a year. And it's not, it's not going North. You know, Aaron Jones took a pay cut from 15 to or 16 to 11 million, and he's still one of the highest paid players. You know, there's McCaffrey, there's Derrick Henry, but do we see Derrick Henry making this money next year? I'm not sure. Do we see Aaron Jones making this money next year? I'm not sure. No matter how good they play this year, right? We are in this age where running backs have limited value in future future value based on early productivity and high usage. Now, people say, well, okay, what do you do? (laughs) People say, well, we need to have less years to free agency for running backs. We need to have a cap exception for running backs. We need to have special rules for running backs. Come on, good luck with that, right? First of all, any effort to change the CBA, to change the existing, the status quo, the owners will say, sure, yeah, what are you going to give us? Right? <laughs> You're going to take less on the split? You're going to give us more commissioner power? You're going to give us better franchise tag rights for every other player? You're going to give us uh, better control over quarterbacks? What are you going to do for us? That's not going to happen. And the idea of a new CBA in general, like, listen, this NFLPA does these long-term CBAs, 
and we talk about it like it's going to change. We're going to have a new CBO 2031 or so, right? That's like eight years away. So this will pass, this, this discussion, but I'm not sure the market will change. Now we got receivers making 27, 28 million a year and your top franchise running backs are making 10 million. I don't know the answer. I understand it's a bleak picture, but this is where we are. This is where we are. Hey, we had Austin Eckler make noise with the Chargers. The Chargers were crickets. They're like, yeah, we don't care. He's one of the best backs in the league. They gave him a few incentives. He's happy. Or they, they say, be happy. Dalvin Cook's one of the best backs in the league. Can't find a home. Are you kidding me? They're picking Alexander Madison over Dalvin Cook. What? Why? Because they see Dalvin Cook going downhill and they see Madison going uphill and the money. <coughs> it's a tough state for running backs. They're disadvantaged coming into the NFL. They're disadvantaged by the rookie contract system. They're disadvantaged by the franchise tag system. And they're disadvantaged by past contracts like Gurley and Alexander that have told teams, don't pay these guys. I feel for running backs. Okay. Last thing I want to talk about is a couple of the streaming services. I watched some of this quarterback with Pat Mahomes and Marcus Mariota and Kirk Cousins. It's okay. It's okay. I mean, it's not showing me a lot that I didn't know. Um, I guess I'm learning a lot about Brittany Mahomes <laughs> that I didn't know. Uh, learn a little bit about Marcus Mariota and meeting his wife at Oregon and how tough it was for him to go to Seattle and prepare for a game last year at his rival university of Washington. Uh, uh, Kirk Cousins, you know, seems like the same guy we all know, kind of nice, kind of like Ned Flanders, you know, just kind of that, that neighbor guy that everyone likes and is kind as can be good guy. Um, it's okay. I mean, the best part is you don't need a quarterback show for that part, which is the mic'd up during the games. You know, that's nice to see. I thought the Pat Mahomes tete-a-tete with Max Crosby, that was good television. That was good programming. That was compelling. But I'm going to give it more. I've only seen two or three episodes. I'll give it more. You know, I'm more interested in the non-football Netflix documentaries, uh, such as drive to survive and the point break with the tennis. I've been watching the tennis last year's U S open. Uh, a lot of great stuff with Francis Tiafo, uh, with Iga Swiatek. Uh, I find that compelling. Um, and then of course, hard knocks is coming with the jets, the jets and you know, kind of as Aaron Rodgers said, what I've said for weeks, uh, the NFL forced them to do it. There is some formula, but the formula is basically we squeeze one team and make them do it. And that's going to be the Jets this year. It's going to be all Aaron all the time. Sure, there are other stories and it's great, but Aaron's the star. Aaron will bring the ratings, whatever the ratings are, because of Aaron Rodgers. I thought it was interesting that they said you're not going to be able to cut player, uh, show the cutting of players in there and the Jets are going to have some terms and conditions. And it was I've never really seen that, right? I've never seen a team come out and say, yeah, we're going to have some – some non-negotiables you can't do HBO and NFL films. 
And to me, that's basically the Jets saying, all right, we'll do it. You're grabbing us, kicking and screaming to make us do this. But we want to extract our pound of flesh. We're not going to you know, do these things. You're not going to see us cut players. You're not going to see certain things. You are going to have limited access compared to past years because we, the Jets, do not want to do this. Okay. Hard knocks, you know, I used to sort of set my watch by it. I don't watch it anymore. I'll see if I watch. But uh, <laughs> some of the stuff, you have this natural uh, battle between access and teams, right? What do fans want? What do media want? They want access. What does the team want? Cut off access. Team wants to show you what they want to show you. They don't want you to have a lot of access. So the rubber hits the road and that's what's coming out of this hard knock. So that's my thought on these documentaries streaming. And by the way, Netflix, I think is doing it right. You know, instead of spending literally billions of dollars for live rights to these games, they're spending a fraction of that and they're covering these sports. Uh, Peyton Manning's Omaha Productions is producing this quarterback. They're not going to get ratings that games get, but they're, I guess their per capita spending is going to be much better than NBC, CBS, Fox, ESPN, and Amazon. So uh, I'm kind of impressed that Netflix is able to touch their hand in sports like tennis, like golf, like Formula One, like uh, Tour de France, and now the NFL in the ways they want to touch the sports, not committing a great sum of money, yet still being relevant in sports and now even the NFL covering these three quarterbacks. Okay. That'll do it. Hope you enjoyed my monologue about health and aging and age and all those things. Uh, you know, give me some feedback on it. Let me know. Uh, you can email me at Andrew at Andrew brantcom You can uh, put it in the comments. Your comments are always appreciated on Apple podcasts. Newsletter, Andrew brantcom The reels are at Andrew Brandt too at Instagram. Of course, Andrew Brandt. On Twitter, my columns at Sports Illustrated, and of course, the Sports Business League. If you want to sign up for that, go to sportsbusinessleague.com and sign up. I'll be doing a webinar before the season starts as well. Thanks to producer Jack Connell, musical producer Sam Brandt. New song he's got out now with M-A-E-M-E-I called Cynical. Check it out. Thanks to you for listening. I'll be back next week with another edition of The Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt.